What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to the latest Matt Russell Project. It's The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. On today's episode of The Window, it's Monday, so we pour over the weekend's action. Another crazy one in college basketball, where just about all of our big spots disappeared as if one of those magical infomercial cleaning sprays just washed them away. The top 10 just got absolutely obliterated. Uh, Usual short card for the final big Monday of the season, and we've got some plays for tonight. Then we'll get super nerdy as we look ahead to conference tournaments that begin Tuesday as I try to create a formula to translate contest value into a relative money line or sort of future odds value. Yeah, that's right. It's a nerd alert. Time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome again to The Window. I am your host, Matt Russell. 50 to 24. That's right, 50 to 24. We have a new holder of the Don't Look Back in Anger Belt, folks, the SMU Mustangs. So here's my Sunday. Uh, We posted a bunch of plays on Twitter. First one up was Cincinnati plus six and a half. And that one... Started out okay, but you knew we were in some significant trouble with 23 minutes into the game, Houston, not a particularly large team, very athletic, of course, but not a particularly big team, had 20 offensive rebounds in 23 minutes of action. That is unheard of. So at that point, you're looking at about a 10-point deficit and getting absolutely outworked Uh, by the Houston Cougars so we know that's a loser it's Sunday we had a long Saturday of sitting around watching college basketball it's like okay let's go get a bit of a workout in so we head over to the gym knowing okay four o'clock we're going to be able to watch a couple of basketball games when we get home got some Michigan against Ohio State that'll be fun we'll catch the end of Wichita State SMU so on and so forth. All we really have to do is sort of follow along here with a couple of games uh, that were going on. Easy winner with St. Louis. Easy, I shouldn't say easy winner with Xavier. Looked for all the world like it was an easy winner with Xavier. Uh, But we needed a late, very late three-pointer as they tried their best to kick that game away. Uh, And an easy winner with Quinnipiac. So we're at three and one. Again, a little bummed out about the absurd offensive rebounding performance that happened against Cincinnati. But a three and one starts a three and one start. And as we're at the gym, we're getting our sweat in, getting some getting some deep knee bends, some lungings, some shoulder pressings. It's all it's all very sweaty. Uh, but we were thinking we weren't having to sweat SMU because at one point it was. 50 to 24 with about 13 and a half minutes left. SMU minus one looks like an easy winner. We can finish up this workout, get home, and focus really on the Michigan-Ohio State game. We had Ohio State minus three and a half. And then, of course, thankfully, turns out to uh, be a you know, not necessarily an easy winner because that game was relatively close throughout most of the game, um, but at least at the end wasn't much of a sweat at all as Ohio State pulls away. But SMU, to get home and just watch, I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't even look at the score. At 50 to 24, you're good. 
you know, and, you know, it's one of those things where you go, okay, we got that one. Well, let's get home and watch, you know, Michigan, Ohio State and hope to get two in a row here, uh, you know, go two for two here and then five in a row since that Cincinnati debacle. And then you flip on the TV and it's like a five point game with still a fair amount of time left. And it's just one of these deals where you can't believe what you're seeing. You know, you go into sort of the stages of grief or whatever it's called. I'm in denial. I'm bargaining. I don't really know what I don't know what's going on. So to watch that meltdown must have been absolutely horrendous. I'm in many ways glad I missed the first 20 points of that meltdown to Wichita State. Kudos to Wichita State. You know, we sort of talk about all the time how you're allowed to try to come back and win the game, right? It's where and how you define a bad beat in a lot of ways. You know, there's sort of different ways to define a bad beat. There's different ways to take a bad beat. You know, one of the better examples is that Gonzaga game against San Francisco a couple weeks ago where they you know they're up 14 with one second to go and they shoot a three to you know push on 17 and make 16 and a half a loser and that is a bad beat because there's no reason to even take that shot it's just not you know it's not relevant to the game like Wichita State is welcome to try to come back from down 26 points in the second half that's kind of the whole point of what we're doing here playing sports but if you're SMU and your win probability is like higher than 100%, it was, I don't know how mathematically this works, but I'm pretty sure their, their win uh, percentage was 110%. Uh, and you still just absolutely piss it away. You know, that's a bad beat in and of itself. So congratulations, SMU Mustangs. The belt is getting mailed to Dallas, Texas. Uh, you are the don't look back in anger belt holders. And I mean, you could say this every time. We hope that's the long term belt holder because that is a rough one uh, to deal with there. Uh, all in all, not a terrible day by any means at five and three, but it just goes to show how easily a six and two Sunday can turn into five and three, which on the ledger, you know, really makes it really makes a big difference uh but you know we're sort of starting with the end first and we'll go and all the way back to friday where we went three and two and it came down to sort of our favorite bet of the night as these often do isaac bonton gets into the starting lineup for washington state and not only do they easily cover the nine and a half points that they were given they win outright and quite comfortably at washington uh, completely different Washington State team with Isaac Bonton in the lineup, and they will be a threat in the Pac-12 conference tournament. Uh, the other game I want to get to, I want to talk about at some point, is the Northern Kentucky uh, Wright State game. But because we're getting in-depth tomorrow on the Horizon League tournament, we'll save some of that thrilling content uh, for tomorrow's big podcast. Uh, as for Saturday, we talked about it in the open, the spots my God, the spots. Uh, everybody had all these spots circled. And the two main ones. So all in all, we went about four games under 500 over the course of the weekend. And, you know, if you're new to this sort of racket, if you're new to sort of trying to figure out what success is in sports betting, you know, the, the threshold for success, you know, it doesn't start with winning every single bet you make, right? And it isn't, 
It isn't going 100%, and it's, all, and it's also not going 0%, right? The threshold is, at its core, 50-50. Like, that is the point of the point spread, right? So anything better than that is success, and anything over 53% is good success and something that, if sustainable, can make you long-term profit. And, of course, anything beyond that is fantastic, right? And... So when you sort of look at a, a whole weekend where you go four games under 500, not great by any, by any means, losing weekend. But you go, okay, how do we get, you know, how do we get back to at least the 50-50 mark to where, you know, you remove bad breaks, bad beats, that sort of thing, right? And so obviously SMU is one. So if you take SMU and you take them from the losing column to the winning column, you're no longer four games below, you're only two games below. And so, well, then you go, how do we get, you know, either in the future, or, you know, in the past, so to speak, how do we get two, three, four, five games above 500? Well, some of these situations are just, again, catching bad beats, making sure your sort of good wins, you know, out, outnumber your bad beats, though that almost never happens. But, you know, we look at a game like, you know, deep into the back cuts here, we had a UN, we had an NC Central team at minus two who was up three points with two seconds to go, and they get a three busted in their face to, t to tie the game, force overtime, you know, and then they go on and don't cover in overtime. So that's another swing game, right? Take one from the loss column, move it over the win column. But as sort of a theme to the weekend, we were looking at sort of two main spots, and that's Pepperdine plus seven and a half against BYU. BYU coming off the big uh, home win against Gonzaga. Would they be up for going on the road to play Pepperdine? And, you know, on the one hand, Pepperdine has the lead at halftime. So obviously, there was a certain amount of sort of sleepwalking element to the start of that game for BYU. Well, unfortunately, Yoli Childs, their star big man, takes them on their back for the second half and just absolutely runs a train through Pepperdine, and they cover easily. They blow right through the number. They win the second half by 20 points. Over in the Mountain West, we had Nevada as a spot against a San Diego State team on the road in their last game, having already, you know, lost the undefeated season. Nevada, sure enough, comes out nine-point lead in the first half. We're getting plus five and a half, and then that gets washed away in the second half. Now, to be honest, if you watch that game, you know full well that there was some very shaky one-sided refereeing in the favor of San Diego State. And unfortunately, I don't think we'll get those same sort of calls in the tournament when we really want San Diego State to be getting calls. Uh, that felt like a Mountain West home cooking. Let's try to keep them up top the uh, atop the one seed or even, you know, as we hope, two seed uh, position uh, for the tournament. But, I mean, there was some absolute atrocities there. So if you're looking at both those games and you go, you know what, if our play is that these two teams in BYU and San Diego State are going to come out slow, why aren't we taking the first halves? And that's the part that sort of drives me crazy sometimes in that I don't listen to my own advice. And again, this podcast is here as not to preach about, you know, what to do and we know everything there is to know. It's, you know, 
postulating some theories, seeing if they work, talking about sports, talking about, you know, games, trying to find value, and then sort of getting better at this, getting slowly better at this, you know, reminding ourselves that these sorts of spot type plays, we talked about it with Minnesota and Maryland last week, where you know you're going to get the best out of a team in the first half, you know, and let's limit the chances of the quote-unquote better team to come back, right? If you're the better team, you want to play as long a game as possible. If you're the better team, you'd play an 80-minute game. You'd play a 120-minute game. The more plays that get played, the better chance you have to win. Well, in a short 20-minute first-half game where the outcome of the half isn't important, you know, these are the plays that we need to be making more and more often with regards to these quote-unquote spots that everybody gets excited about. Because if you don't, you're just leaving yourself the uh, vulnerability to get absolutely, you know, hammered in the second half by the better team when they wake up, you know, at halftime realizing they're losing to an inferior team. Uh, other problems with regards to Saturday, we had Duke minus the three and a half. And the handicap on this game was pretty simple. When Vernon Carey plays for an extended period of time for Duke, they're usually in pretty good shape because he is the only difference maker beyond what sort of, you know, Trey Jones can do uh, from a point guard position. But, you know, and we thought Virginia didn't have a big man that, that would bother Vernon Carey. Huff? Huff is the guy who's going to dominate you, Vernon Carey? Huff? Like, what is that? So, you know, if you told me that he was going to be the one, like, flexing the entire time after blocks and, you know, put back dunks and whatnot, then, yeah, I had to give Virginia a shot here. Now people, of course, are talking about Virginia. Yeah, they should be ranked, and this is a hot team, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't know that you can ever call Virginia, especially this season, particularly this season, the hot team, because by definition, you sort of have to be, you know, running on all cylinders. And the way that offense goes, it's just they don't even have cylinders to run. But it was certainly enough. We thought Duke could score on them to the point where, like, we thought they would get to 60. Didn't even get close to 60. So you tip your cap to Virginia in an impressive home effort. And But it's really just an, a sign for Duke that, you know, if Vern Carey's getting in foul trouble and he's getting dominated down low and he looks, you know, like he can't get anything done in the block because, you know, <laughs> Virginia's sending two guys and he doesn't know where to pass it to, that's a pretty big problem there for Duke. And so we'll talk about their game tonight and how that line is really, really interesting. But, man, if, if your difference maker can't make the difference against a team that doesn't have or shouldn't have the same level of talent uh, to match up with you, that's a yikes for Duke. And that's the biggest sign beyond any of these other, you know, recent missteps, I think. Uh, you know, I mean, they choked away the game against Wake Forest, but, you know, certain things kind of pile up and, you, you know, Wake Forest needed to make some pretty miracle shots and get some turnovers and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, when you're just flat out outplayed by inferior players for, you know, pretty much the con you know, considerable amount of that game, almost the entire game, 
that's a real red flag. So, um, you know, not a bad B by any stretch of the imagination, certainly just a bad handicap, but when you're relying on something like, like Vernon Carey, who in theory should be one of the top players in the country, you know, that's a bit of a rough scene. Uh, other sort of notable losses along the way, Arkansas plus one, get out to just the worst start of anyone, basically, on Saturday. And all I've got here written here is tourney chances go bye-bye. And for an Arkansas team that had felt like they had gotten momentum with getting Isaiah Joe back and getting two nice home wins here, getting people sort of talking about them to get back on the bubble, to go on the road to Georgia and lose, not just lose, but just come out and just get absolutely killed in the first 10 minutes is really, really just sad in a lot of ways. Um, so I think that might be it for Arkansas, even regardless of sort of, you know, them being back to sort of full strength. Uh, also, just a note, and I've been meaning to sort of bring this up at some point, Georgia, if you've got Rayshon Hammonds and Anthony Edwards and you're not even in the conversation for an NCAA tournament bid any year, let alone this season where no one wants to get into the tournament. The bubble is like, we could throw together five guys right now, and I'm pretty sure that we would be like the last four out or the next four out. And to have these two guys on your team and you are like four or five wins in the SEC... When there's like, you should win all your home games, really, in the SEC. I mean, sure, you know, maybe not when Kentucky comes to town. But listen, we just watched Tennessee beat Florida. By the way, nice first half showing Florida. At least they showed us something in the second half, almost coming back to win that game. That game's two minutes longer, which, you know, it's literally never been before. It's never 22 minutes second half. But if that game's two, minute, two minutes longer, I'm pretty sure Florida comes back and wins it. So there's some, some comfort in all of that. But, you know, a Tennessee, Tennessee can win at home against Florida. Why can't you win at home? Georgia is way more talented. And Anthony Edwards, nobody talks about him because, again, Georgia's nowhere near the tournament. And But he, that guy is amazing. And if he was on Duke or if he was on, again, really any team that was anywhere near the tournament... Uh, you know, he would be must-watch television because he just hammers dunks, he makes threes, he makes all the right plays. He's He threw a pass this week that literally, like, zipped by a guy's face and almost knocked him out unconscious, in part because he was so surprised that, that he even tried the pass. At any rate, <laughs> Tom Crean, I mean, what are we doing? How do you have these two guys and are this bad of a of a team or have this bad of a record because it's it's hard to blame a team when you have two guys who are that good i can't say they're a bad team they have two of the best players in the country that you know don't get any recognition because they just lose games all the time now of course they won this one came awfully close to choking it away to be honest with you despite the the really good start but anyway see you later arkansas just completely get out of my face uh, games that we did not bet on, but has, sort of have to do with Arkansas and the SEC. Uh, Mississippi State gets the big road win. Uh, like I said uh, in the podcast last week, not didn't bet it, wasn't going to bet it, but we sort of have an implicit bet on them at that point to win. You know, one of the last two games on the road, um, so they can probably kick away the next one if they wanted to, uh, as long as they can beat rival Mississippi at home. Uh, this weekend, 
and you know not make a fool of themselves come the SEC tournament, which of course you know given sort of how deep and wacky the SEC is, uh, <laughs> given the fact that one of the worst teams in the SEC has a guy by the name of Anthony Edwards, anything is possible at any time. But a real key win in you know one of those wins that is more important to win than it is to not lose, if that makes some sense. Um, Elsewhere, big games. Uh, I think we learned some stuff about Maryland. If we didn't know already about Maryland, you know, from their slow starts on the road and their comebacks and their sort of, you know, desperate attempts to, you know, to come back in the second half, we talked about how is that something you want to rely on against good teams come the tournament? And, of course, it isn't. And, you know, we saw that they, you know, even at home that they can't, you can't rely on that against a good team. So if Maryland is a one seed, not, they're not going to be a one seed anymore, but if they were, say, a two seed and they're up against, you know, even a seven seed, depending on who that might be, but certainly, you know, into the next, into the sweet 16 where you're facing a, t a three seed, are you going to be down 10 points? Are you going to be down 15 points? Because if you can't come back against Michigan State, not that Michigan State isn't good, but Michigan State right now is sort of in that four, you know, five zone. So, you know, what if Maryland faced Michigan State again as a 2-3 matchup? This time it's in some sort of neutral court when Michigan State is going to have, you know, the crowd because Michigan State almost always has the crowd if they're anywhere near home in, you know, in the Midwest or in the South or any of those sort of regions, right? Maybe if they're out West, it's a little bit trickier, but Maryland's certainly not going to have the crowd. So, you know, it, that's the telling spot there where you go, okay, you know, it's one thing to kind of not take a team on the road that you know you should be able to beat lightly, but it's another when game day's in town, you got Scott Van Peltz all over the all over the place, and of course he's still in denial about this Maryland team. God bless him. You gotta love sports fans, nothing wrong with that. But you know, like you gotta play forty minutes here. And yeah, you have enough talent so that in some cases you don't have to play forty minutes, and they certainly you know, will probably win their first round game. And even if they get down by 10, speaking of which, you know, let's remind ourselves when Maryland as a three seed is playing a 14 seed, you know, maybe a first to 15 bet at plus money, significant odds won't be the worst idea we've ever had in our lives uh, come the tournament, you know, trying to maybe even a first half bet against whoever they're playing, at least in the second round, if they even make it that far, which again, I assume they will. So, you know, so learning things about Maryland, things that are confirmed, and again, you know, again, and we talked about how this, that line was so fishy as it came out two and a half and three points, and then it went down to two, and you're just like, really? And it just shows, you know, again, it's a combination of how, much, how little the market thinks of Maryland relative to what the market continually thinks of Michigan State. And you go through, you know, you could be Michigan State guy, but you would have also have lost five straight games against the spread, maybe even more than that, over the course of the last couple months because the market thinks so highly of Michigan State. Well, they finally showed up to beat the market and prove to the people that, you know, are constantly backing the Spartans that there's reason to do so. What does that mean going forward for the last two games here of the regular season? And what does it mean for the conference tournament? Well, you know, we'll see how those sort of matchups play out and where those lines sit. But, you know, if we're going to wait five games for Michigan State to do something, you know, 
and we're just going to keep betting them over and over again. That's going to be a losing proposition. But congrats to those who won with Michigan State on Saturday. So a couple of swing games there that went from, um, you know, what we, we thought we were going to be able to get wins with, and then we didn't. Uh, another one sort of falls under the category of what we talked about with regards to teams ebbs and flows of the season right so just when you think this is a team then they blow it and it's not necessarily because there's all that much pressure on them and so let's use florida state for example as an you know as as one of two and the other being creighton right so both teams on the road against frankly crappy teams florida state three-point favorites three-and-a-half-point favorites at clemson a game that they should win, you know, 80-plus percent of the time. They've just made a comeback win at home against Louisville. And take a lead. They're up. They're doing fine. And then they just, like, wash it away. And they, and there's no sort of, you know, psychological element because it's not like this was a massive game. People were watching. You know, this wasn't the Maryland-Michigan State game where the hype was just overwhelming. This is just another game on your schedule that if you are a – and you don't want to say a professional team because they're not nobody's a professional team, but sort of whatever the college version of a sort of professional team does, they just go on the road and they get that win and they get out of town, right? And you can make the case Kansas succeeded with that this week, even though they looked shaky against a god-awful Kansas State team. So, but that's the difference, right? The difference between Kansas and everybody else is when they go on that road and they play an inferior team, but that team is playing out of their mind, and I'm looking at you, Baylor and TCU as well here, that they don't lose the game, right? They take a couple of hits in the mouth and they come out on top at the end. They don't necessarily cover, and we knew that line, and I didn't bet it, I didn't bet either side, but we knew that line at 12, 11 and a half, we knew that line was ridiculous. I had, my, you know, my number was eight, eight and a half. We knew that number was too high, but just Kansas is just, you know, too scary but I knew that number was too high but it's and you know you've got Kansas punching you in the mouth and you come back and you still fight right and you don't let them get that momentum you you squash momentum they take a lead you take the lead right back right and that's not what Baylor was able to do against a very comparable TCU team right there is not much to not much difference between TCU and Kansas State both games were on the road we were you know, we've been told that there isn't much between Baylor and Kansas, right? And there might not be, I don't know. But the difference is one team got a win and the other team took a loss. And now TCU is all fired up about themselves, you know, thinking they're so great, which is always kind of funny because like, listen, if you're so great, why are you, you know, near the bottom of the Big 12, you know, have won four games, you know, in the last two months, like, calm down, I get you got a nice win, but, you know, Let's pump the brakes here. So you look at these teams, and you go Florida State, Creighton, they go on the road to St. John's, right? That's a team that they should beat all the time, right? But if you don't show up for the game, you're going to get beat on somebody else's home court. That's just how it works, right? In major college basketball, if you don't show up, you're going to get beat. And Creighton didn't show up against St. John's. And they got absolutely smoked. And it wasn't because there was too much hype and this was their big game and this, you know, they they got tight. It's just the ebbs and flows of a season. And if you're a good team, you're going to, in college basketball, you're going to win, you know, for every, 
every 10 game segment, you're probably going to win seven or eight games. But that means you're also going to lose two or three games. And two or three of those games are going to be against really high opponents. But one or two is going to come against a team, most often on the road, that you should beat every time. And the difference between going 10-0 and and 8-2 and is sometimes getting the one showdown game and avoiding getting that stupid loss, right? And Kansas avoid the stu- avoided the stupid loss. Uh, Baylor didn't avoid the stupid loss. Uh, Florida State didn't avoid the stupid loss. Uh, Duke wasn't a stupid loss, but they didn't they didn't win the showdown, you know, pick em ish type game. Uh, and Creighton certainly didn't avoid arguably the stupidest loss you could possibly take. So you know, again. For all of the narrative saying this is a year where anybody can win and the tournament's going to be crazy. Well, one, the tournament's always crazy. It's called March Madness, right? It's not called March, you know, everything was pretty predictableness. Or at March, we sort of saw all of this coming and it wasn't that interestingness. It's March Madness for a reason. We don't have to sell anybody on March Madness. If you know what March Madness is and you've experienced the tournament, you know it's pretty bleeping awesome, right? So no amount of silliness during the season should you know have have to pre-verify that march madness is going to be fun march madness is going to be fun it's always going to be fun but if everybody stays healthy on kansas they're going to win the tournament because they're the only team and you can do this with you know however you want with metrics and this and that or whatever but they're the only team that consistently performs as we get towards the end of the season here, the only team that's consistently performed over the last month, month and a half, in a way, you know, above everyone else, right? They're not taking the stupid loss. They're winning the showdown games. They're getting a couple, you know, they're getting wins on the road. They're pummeling teams at home, right? If you're a 15-point favorite and you're covering at home, I don't care who the opponent is, you're exceeding expectations. Right. If you're winning on the road consistently in the league, you are exceeding expectation because, as we just saw, every team can be can be beaten if they go on the road, right? Even to the dead last team in the league, right? So Kansas is the only one who's doing this, and so it's not wide open. It's Kansas, and it's everybody else. Now I go and I make a statement like Kansas is going to win the NCAA tournament, but that's all. And this is the point of this whole podcast in general, is that's a blanket statement, but it's all relative to, you know, statistical probabilities or public perception, right? So I'd have more respect for the people who come out and say anybody can win this tournament. And it's kind of true. Kind of anybody can win the tournament. because, But to say that there's no good teams or there's no standout team is a slap in the face to what Kansas is doing. And you can make the case, and I certainly will and have, that it's all structured around one guy. And we've talked about this before with Yudoka Azabuki being the clear factor on him being a thing that no other team has. And you're allowed to do it. It's like hockey. You're allowed to have a good goalie in hockey. You're allowed to have a great goalie in hockey. You're allowed to have the best player in the NBA be on your team. And it doesn't mean that the rest of your team is garbage, right? The, the Milwaukee Bucks are a good team because they have the best player in the NBA, or at least the quote-unquote MVP. And that's allowed. You're allowed, you're allowed to do that, right? The Raptors were allowed to have Kawhi Leonard last year. 
And was that the difference between being a championship team and a not championship team? Yeah, probably, right? And we'll probably see that this year, even though the Raptors are still a very good team. You know, go on, so on and so forth, right? You're allowed to have a good starting rotation in baseball, right? So you're allowed to have the guy who's better than everybody else. And they probably would have won a championship already if, A, he had been able to stay healthy over the course of the last couple of years, and B, they didn't run into like an all-world team in Villanova two years ago, right? So it's almost, it's sort of comparable to like the Kansas City Chiefs with Pat Mahomes, right? I firmly believe the, the Chiefs would have won the Super Bowl, uh, you know, last year, sort of two years ago now, if, you know, D4 doesn't go offside, right? They go on, if he doesn't go offside, they go on to face the Rams, and I'm quite certain that they win that game right but it took a year later because of you know again an unfortunate incident right so it's possible that kansas should have won last year but it's going to take an extra year because of unfortunate incidents with regards to him so anyway point is he's clear and above the most important player on that team but you're allowed to have him they are the best team this isn't a you know who who's any good blah 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 type season it's kind of like any other season where there's a one really good team and there's sort of a yes no on whether they're going to win and you have to sort of decide yes or no do you believe in this team and last year it was say duke right and the answer was no i did not believe in that team i didn't believe in Co in shashevsky anymore he's super washed that's my opinion and if it's similar to georgia in that if you have rj barrett and zion williamson on your team you should win, you should make the final four, right? You should win that game. You should beat Michigan State. Like Cassius Winston shouldn't beat you, right? God bless Cassius Winston, but he shouldn't beat you. And so, yes, it's, I mean, it's not like Georgia in that, you know, at least Duke made the final four, not, or not made the final four, made the tournament and wasn't like eliminated from contention in freaking January. But, you know, point being is that, you know, last year you go, okay, this Duke team should and you know, has the most talent, but they're not going to win. This year it's Kansas, yes or no. And that's a decision that you need to make going into the tournament. And once we get the bracket, you know, figured out, which again, all of this stuff comes down to the bracket, right? So you can ask me, who's your final four? Or who, you know, value on futures and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, none of it matters until the bracket comes out because I don't know, you know, when you go, who can beat Kansas? And yes, there are teams that can beat Kansas. There's plenty of teams that can beat them. For all of what I've said about how their resume and how they consistently overperform, whether it's covering at home by a ton, whether it's getting on the, going on the road and getting wins, all of that stuff is still against you know, nine teams, <laughs> a group of nine teams that are in their league, right, if the Big 12, and you know, half of those teams stink, right? So yeah, when we get into a scenario where, you know, they're going to be a one seed, I don't know who, who you know, who are the eight and nines going to be? Again, you know, who are they, they going to have to play in the second round? Because there's going to be eight and nines. And again, we've talked about this before and Lord knows we'll talk about it again. There's eight and nines who are so drastically different in my opinion. And again, what does my opinion matter? But whatever. In my opinion, there's going to be eight nines where you go, I don't want anything to do with that team. And then there's going to be eight nines where you're like, that's a sneaky team to make the final four, right? And those, I think, are, and that's what makes this tournament, because I think those are, you know, those are the scenarios, those are the teams that are going to make this tournament interesting. Because when you start looking at the eight nine, you know, section right now on any given 
you know, bracketology thing, you literally take all those eight nines, there's eight of them, right? And you, I guarantee you there's three that you go, oh man, whoever the one seed is, whether it's San Diego State, that we're still hoping for a two seed for them in the West, or whether it's, you know, Dayton, who I think right now should be a one seed, or I think will be a one seed, especially if Baylor keeps losing, to be honest with you, um, you know, or if it's Kansas, or if it's Gonzaga, right? Like, you know, people will make the case, and I don't necessarily believe this, but just off the top of my head, what if Virginia is a nine seed, right? And what if they're playing, you know, Rhode Island as an eight seed? Well, those are two examples of if you're a team, you are begging for Rhode Island to win that game if you're the if you're Gonzaga, right? You're dying for Rhode Island to win that game because if Virginia wins the game, right? That's a drastic difference on at least perception anyways. You know, it's a drastic difference on what that point spread is going to be, right? You're going to you don't want anything to do with Virginia and playing a 45-43 game versus a Rhode Island team that you know, whatever they do, you kind of do better or at least can counteract. So that's just one example of two teams that are kind of in that mix, depending on what, you know, bracket you're sort of looking at right now. So it's the same thing for Kansas. What if they end up in that in that league? What if they end up with Kentucky as the four seed, right? So, you know, even just talking, you know, one thing to talk about eight nines, but what about four and five seeds? What if Kentucky's the four seed against Kansas? Do you think they want anything to do with that? The same way that Gonzaga doesn't want anything to do with it. Dayton doesn't want anything to do with Kentucky as a four seed. Nobody does, right? Kentucky's not going to be moved up to a two seed, though, I don't think. I mean, we'd love it, but I don't think that's going to be the case because they're just, for whatever reason, you know, I guess metrically or, you know, they don't have enough, you know, quad one wins or, you know, I don't know. But it it's doesn't seem like the that they're willing to get sort of bumped up in the rankings of, you know, uh, by the committee so you know that's an example but there will be four seeds you could maybe even use Creighton here as an example who was working their way into a four seed that nobody is going to fear right what if you know who would who would Gonzaga rather play Kentucky or Creighton right and so but if they're both four seeds they're theoretically equal right so we don't know anything about you know definitive statements like Kansas is going to win the national title we just know that if Kansas gets at least a decent route that they're going to be the least likely team to bleep it up right so even though you know gonzaga looks great but gonzaga didn't get the win at byu right san diego state kicked away a game probably should have lost this past weekend you know and again i still think even though utah state and god we were off on that one too, but Utah State, you know, losing at New Mexico was really, really disappointing. But again, you know, a, as much as I think Utah State's still undervalued, and that's why we made that bet this past weekend, you know, they still had to show up for that game. And it was another example of just a really good team, not a ton to play for too, you know, which probably should have been factored in to maybe make a stay away, but going on the road and not being totally into it, right? And thinking they could sleepwalk and just sort of show up and get a victory. And that's not the team. That, the, the team that played in New Mexico for Utah State, I know we're all over the map here, but Utah, the team that played you know, New Mexico this past weekend isn't going to be the team that shows up to play San Diego State in you know, either the finals or the semifinals. I actually haven't looked at the Mountain West bracket, which is literally the next thing I'm doing after this podcast. Um, 
you know, that team's not going to be the one that shows up, right? So I still think Utah State is going to beat San Diego State, and I still think San Diego State kicks themselves down to a two-seed in the West. I think Dayton wins the ATN tournament, and they end up as a one-seed, and that they end up as the one-seed that everybody just bleep talks the entire four days before the tournament, and, you know, they're the one that, you know, on the odds boards, on all the sort of futures and props bets, they're the one that's like least likely to make to the final four and first one seed to lose, Dayton, like they're the favorite and yada, yada, yada. And, I, you know, again, we'll see come the matchups and whatnot, you know, where we sort of land on that from a, an opinion standpoint. So, yes, Kansas, for sure, clear in a way the number one team. That's not a secret to anyone. Um but it's just, I think, you know, as the media sort of always is kind of like two weeks behind on these sorts of things, and you see it even with some of the stuff that we've talked about. And again, we don't do a ton of sort of pounding our chest over here. But, you know, who is the first person to talk about the UCLA as a team that we needed to watch with regards to being a really big sleeper, you know, that had, quote unquote, no chance to make the tournament? Well, that was right here. And now you have people in the, you know, there's no such thing really as a mainstream sports betting, you know, space, but there kind of is. Um, you know, you have those people going, you know what, UCLA, you should probably get in on that. And it's like, yeah, we were there three weeks ago. And it's the same thing with Kentucky. We were there a month ago about Kentucky. And maybe they, you know, maybe again, they get stuck saddled with a four seed. I'd like to think that with all these teams losing and Kentucky just consistently winning games, which, you know, God forbid they win games and improve their standing here. Um, but, you know, like we were there before everybody else's. We were getting, we were buying the buy lows, right? We need to do a little bit better with selling on the sell highs, but we're there buying the, you know, the buy lows. Um, so, at any rate, um, again, not an ideal weekend for sure. Some signs pointing to some teams being maybe a little more fraudulent than we had hoped or even confirming sort of things that we had always kind of thought about teams, right? There's a reason I don't have Baylor futures. And I'm not saying they're a bad team by any stretch of the imagination, but I just think there's a difference between them and Kansas, you know, Florida State. You know, we gave them all the credit in the world in saying that they could make a run at a one seed. And that was absolutely the case. And in a way, it still kind of is. But you have to stop dumping these games, you know, against inferior opponents. Because if they had won that game and if they had, you know, finished up the regular season strong and they had, you know, gotten a good seed, maybe the one seed in the ACC tournament, and then they win the ACC tournament, that team could scoot up into a one seed there are places available i'd make the case that there's now two one seeds that are very much available right i think kansas has one i think gonzaga has one and beyond that obviously there's some like we've talked about we hope san diego state doesn't have one and we're just hoping for teams to come up and grab those other two number ones and right now baylor's clinging to it but what if they go out in the semis of the Big 12 tournament? What if they lose tonight against a Texas Tech team that could, like, very much beat them? You know, what if they lose two more games? Well, that's good night. 
see you later, number one seed. And maybe that, you know, again, we'll see whether that matters and all that sort of thing. But there's two number one seeds that are very much up for grabs, I think, still because of where we might be headed with some of these teams like San Diego State, like Baylor, um, you know, and Dayton's route to a number one seed, I think, is relatively clear. So, you know, there's a lot to play for here coming down the stretch. And this weekend had, you know, just nothing but a ton of interesting results. And, you know, teams that, you know, we don't, again, we don't have Florida State in Florida State Futures. We don't have Baylor, Baylor Futures. We don't have, uh, you know, not a ton of faith in, you know, some of these other you know, teams that just give, you know, Maryland, for example, right? You know, just give them a couple games and they'll blow one, right? So as soon as somebody kind of latches on and sees this team coming, that's when they take a, a dive. And the only team that doesn't do that is Kansas. Now, let me just preface that or postface that with, I believe they also, ha they do have a road game coming up against Texas Tech, which is totally a spot that, again, I would forgive them for losing that game, right? That is a forgivable loss. And I guess that's kind of my point too, in that if you define these sorts of, sort of things as forgivable or not forgivable, you know, Creighton losing it at St. John's isn't particularly forgivable. Florida State, not all that forgivable, right? Kansas losing to Kansas State wouldn't have been forgivable. You know what they didn't do? They didn't lose to Kansas State. Right. But if you go on the road and you're playing a team, you know, Texas Tech, who has given everybody problems, you know, that is a forgivable loss. If they lost to TCU <laughs> this week at home, that would be unforgivable. So I don't expect them to lose to TCU, especially TCU coming off of this big win. That's probably a spot where Kansas will absolutely destroy them. And you probably can't make that line high enough which, of course, they will make that line high enough, and it'll be just high enough to either stay away or talk yourself into TCU. But anyway, that's just kind of how this game works. Um, but, you know, again, looking ahead, you know, I could, especially if they have the big 12 locked up, which, I mean, there's still only one game ahead of Baylor. Um, you know, that's a game that they could lose, but if they go on the road and they beat T Texas Tech, like, what else do you want from them, Right. Like, they had a two-point loss to Duke earlier this season and a one-point loss on the road to Villanova. And then other than that, they just had Baylor come in and stun them at the fog. That's a pretty good resume. That's a damn good resume. So, yeah, I don't know what we're doing with this whole, like, there's no great team, there's no favorite, blah, 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 blah. There's pretty clearly a favorite. And, again, I'm not ever going to take a plus 750, plus 800 team um, you know, into the tournament. And, you know, I, I would never take a plus, you know, 1,000 or a plus 1,200 um, with a ton of time left. So that's why we don't have Kansas futures because, again, there just isn't any value or that value can be replicated, again, once we see the bracket and so on and so forth. So, you know, a lot of people would be like, well, well you know, why don't you have those those futures, blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's just why. So anyway, um, really just the, you know, as much as everything sort of quote unquote changed with teams losing and whatnot, everything kind of stays the same 
in uh, in the sort of big picture element for college basketball and, uh, and looking forward to the tournament and all that sort of thing. So we will take a break here. And when we come back, it's time to talk about an abbreviated Big Monday slate where we do have a ton of plays. Not a ton of plays, I shouldn't say. There's not even a ton of games. But we do have a couple of plays for the main card. And then there's back cuts, the extra game board. Uh, I'm not calling it spicy because I don't think that's ever possible with the extra game board. But we're going to take another run at these low-level conferences. We're going to do so after this. Do you run your own company or promote your business through Instagram, Facebook, or other social media platforms? Are you struggling to grow your following or build your brand? Posting simple pictures, inspirational quotes, or amateur selfie videos don't really do the trick anymore. Studies show that 82% of people simply scroll by videos that don't have any subtitles, and the remaining 18% usually don't stay for long if your content isn't stimulating or entertaining. Contact Hundo P Productions to help you boost your brand and get to the next level of video marketing. Reach them at www.hundopproductions.com or at hundopprod on Instagram. Don't just post, inspire. Okay, let's dig into Monday's abbreviated slate. Just three games on the main board. NC State at Duke opens it up on Big Monday. Really interesting one here as you see that Duke is 12.5 point favorites. My number was 9.5, and, and I still tried to go high because obviously there's a tendency in the market to shade Duke higher after they lose, right? And you'll get that more often than not where they just come out especially since most of the time when they lose in conference or ever, it's on the road, and they come home, and they just bludgeon a team. Well, this is an interesting one because you've got sort of the bounce back from the loss on Saturday times plus, however you want to work the math, plus revenge spot here against NC State. So that situational handicapping tells you, oh, Duke. Duke is Duke, Duke, Duke. But at some point, we have to trust what we've seen from Duke and then go, okay, well, as great as those situations are, right, those spots, in the same way that we were talking about how the spots failed us this past week, this is still a team that they're playing that beat them by 20 last time out. And it's not very often you're going to get a team who won by 20 as 12.5-point underdogs when they play just a couple of weeks later without any significant injury happening. And I realize they start again from 0-0, zero, zero, and again, Duke will have all the motivation to run up the score. They will have all the motivation to do this, do that. But they had a ton of motivation to play better at Virginia, right? And they didn't do that. They did... That game's pace was Virginia's pace. It wasn't their pace. They weren't able to exert their will over Virginia. And you know they were trying to, right? You know, even though those three main guys from last year aren't still on the Virginia team, that's still going into the defending champions' place after you've lost a game, a pretty embarrassing loss at that to Wake Forest, and going in and still not being able to, again, f force your will. And so this idea that, you know, these teams are this team's motivated or that team's motivated, you know, 
we talk about it here, but we do a lot more on sort of which team isn't as motivated, right? We talk about the sleepy, sleepwalking, early sluggish starts, that kind of thing. But we don't often go, okay, this team's motivated, so they're going to try harder. I don't know that there's trying hard, right? I think there's sort of a level of trying hard that you do, and then there's days where you're just less prepared or less into it. There aren't really days where you're trying harder than sort of the your sort of baseline for trying hard, if that makes any sense. And so I think Duke's trying pretty hard over the last four games. And really all they have to show for it is what? Like three losses, and I believe it was a home win against Notre Dame, was it? Quick check. No, Virginia Tech. Uh, they had the home win against Notre Dame before these losses. And so, okay, you beat you beat the brakes off Virginia Tech. I don't know that NC State's Virginia Tech. You know, I've talked about how NC State is by no means my favorite team, but at certain points, you do kind of have to go. All right, they're you know nine and nine, eighteen eleven in the big in the ACC, and you know like that. That sort of, you know, it still means something, I guess, when, you know, even you, even though you talk about the ACC sort of being in a down year. But part of that is, you know, obviously North Carolina being at the bottom of the ACC. But the other part is people just never believe in NC State, even at the best of times, right? And so they're sitting here on the bubble still. And they're, in a way, they're probably going, you know, what else do we really need to do here? I know they lost to Florida State, but, you know, we've beat Duke. You know, we got a, it wasn't great by any means, but we did get a win against Pitt here, and we're sitting here in the first four out. You know, obviously some bad losses earlier in the season. You know, you've got, I should say, earlier in the conference season because they actually had a pretty decent non-conference, not that they played a ton of really good teams, but, you know, losing road games to Clemson and Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, which maybe earlier in the season looked bad, but, again, teams lose on the road all the time. Losing to North Carolina twice is somehow <laughs> this season is a bad thing. It's not, somehow we've seen what's happened in North Carolina. But, you know, that's not necessarily worst. And then, you know, another loss on the road to BC. So I guess, you know, just the lack of road wins in general for North Carolina State is what would sort of make you, uh, you know, scared away from this. But they do have a win at Virginia, which is literally their only road win if – oh, no, sorry, there's a Miami and a Syracuse. Yeah, a road win against Syracuse isn't – anything to sort of sneeze at. Um, so, you know, again, 12 and a half feels like a, just a ton of points here. So we are going to take NC State. And, you know, again, certainly it flies in the face of sort of the situational handicapper, you know, code here that, you know, most of the time we very much follow. Um, then the nightcap for Big Monday is Baylor and Texas Tech. And, you know, again, with Baylor here, you can kind of go one of two ways. And you go, all right, this is two losses in their last three, you know, sandwiched around, you know, and a really impressive blowout win against Kansas State. But again, we don't really think all too that high, too much of, uh, of Kansas State. And we'd kind of sort of thought that these sorts of losses might come a little earlier when, and literally sort of two or three games earlier, when they were kind of getting away with games late right so they, they kind of got away with one at kansas state they you know played oklahoma state closer than we kind of thought you know that they would they probably should have lost to texas 
And so we thought West Virginia might give them a problem, but that was before we figured out that West Virginia was epically fraudulent. And a team that, by the way, we didn't talk about this, shout out to Oklahoma for again beating West Virginia and in my mind securing their spot in the tournament if it wasn't already secured. We talked about Oklahoma being 200 to one for a very long time um, earlier in February. And, you know, so just getting them in the tournament is great. But this West Virginia team we now have to look at, and I know this is a tangent, but this is a team we have to look at as though they are a bad basketball team. I'm not even saying like a fraudulent good basketball team. We have to start looking at them like they are a legitimately bad basketball team. And Baylor does go to West Virginia in the finale this weekend, um, in their regular season finale, and that's sort of, you know, kind of a confluence of where we think maybe Baylor might be headed. But, you know, that's a spot where they could still, they could get a big win that will look more impressive than it actually is. And again, coming off a loss, you go, okay, they got to be super motivated. But Texas Tech is also coming off of a loss. And Texas Tech, again, is a team that can get things done on the road. And their offense can be, let's just say, spotty. That's been the one thing that we've sort of hoped to see out of them over the course of the end of the season. And the last two games, not being able to get out of the 50s, not what we were hoping for. But if you're going to grind one out here with Baylor, and I think that's what we've got here is just a full-on grind-out game, I think the 7.5 is too high, and I made the number 6. And so I think in both these games, I think the number is just a little too high, and they're just strict value plays against teams that I think can compete um, with, you know, with the favorite here. And you know, in both cases, maybe could even win outright. I mean, we've certainly seen NC State win, beat Duke. I mean, obviously, Cameron is a much bigger task but I certainly I think Texas Tech can win this game against uh, at Baylor Uh, I really do and uh, you know not that I'm you know forking money over to the money line here but I just think seven and a half is too many points Um, and if Baylor was you know if Baylor could turn it on if they had a a switch to flip that they could turn it on they would have won that game against TCU they had more than enough opportunities to win that game against TCU over the weekend right so I don't think it's just simple as oh extra motivation we're fired up let's go because you know they could have gone out come out of halftime and been more fired up and whatever all this sort of cliches that you want to say but they didn't they don't have i don't think they have that switch i think they're a very good team um that's you know works hard has you know sort of under the radar talented guys but i don't know that i don't think they have that extra switch and i think you need that switch if you're going to be uh, if you're going to win the NCAA tournament, I don't think Baylor wins the NCAA tournament because I don't think they have that extra switch. I think there's a lot of teams that are, quote-unquote, worse than them that have that switch that they can flip or at least sort of that peak level that they can reach. And they don't often do it because they're college kids, and that's why I think Kansas is the best team because they're the one who most frequently does find that extra switch that you know to flip, to just blow, pie, blow, blow past a team or to shut a team down. I just don't think that Baylor necessarily has that and maybe they show it tonight and maybe I'm wrong but give me Texas Tech plus seven and a half and then the third one in the in sort of the main board here the way under the radar uh game of the day is uh I'll take the favorite with Weber I do it every time Weber State uh minus the six and a half I think you do have to pay a little juice I think that's minus 115 in some of the spots that I was looking at um, so kind of waiting on that. Maybe it goes. Maybe we get back to minus one ten. Uh, not exactly a huge 
um, you know, we're not waiting on a specific number, just maybe a little bit of a better price uh, on that. Weber uh, takes on Idaho State, and Idaho State is uh, terrible. I made the number eight and a half, so still some value, even if it pops up to seven. Um, so an underrated sort of whatever under the radar play there that I think has just as much value as the main games. Now, as far as the back cuts are uh, to be concerned here, uh, let's go through them. I got Norfolk State at Delaware State. I got Norfolk State minus six and a half points. Uh, the line's nine and a half, but Delaware State just won a game, which is always sort of headline worthy. They did so against another horrendous team in, I believe it was, what, Maryland Eastern Shore on the weekend. Uh, so we're going to stay clear of that game. Maryland Eastern Shore does play Howard. Two really bad teams here, but I think uh, Howard is slightly better in the uh, and they're at home in this sort of battle of terrible teams. Give me Howard minus the one and a half. Uh, I talked about it earlier. Worst sort of beat or end game, you know, kind of deal. And listen, we lost by a half point with William and Mary. So that was, that sucked from just a, you know, looking at the score standpoint. But the worst sort of game situation was uh, UNC Central losing in overtime uh, after or should say not, not covering in overtime after having the opportunity to cover. Uh, with two seconds left, up three, everything's looking okay, and boom, three-pointer ties the game, go to overtime, and lose there. Uh, thought we were getting some good value with UNC Central against South Carolina State in that one. So we're going to try to get that back and then some with the, those two teams in separate games. So we're going to be on UNC Central here for a bounce back here at minus five. UNC Central, I made an eight and a half point favorite at home to Bethune-Cookman. And then in the following game, NCA&T, I made four and a half point favorites on the road at South Carolina State. Very similar spot as uh, NC Central was. I think that number is the same because, uh, you know, SC's... SC State, South Carolina State, covered that game. And, you know, I think there's a tendency for sportsbooks to kind of assume that NCA&T and UNCC are about on the same level. I'm of the opinion that NCA&T is a better team. So I made that four and a half points. So give me NCA&T minus the one and a half. Uh, Alabama State is at Texas Southern. I made line seven and a half. It is seven and a half for no play for me there. Uh, uh, Mississippi Valley State is at Grambling. I got Grambling as a 10-point favorite. It's a 16.5-point line here. I think Missouri, Missouri, Mississippi Valley State can hang around here and cover the 16.5. They pushed over the weekend on a 17-point spread. I think they do a little bit better here. Arkansas Pine Bluff, uh, similar story. I have Jackson State a 9-point favorite. It's an 11.5-point favorite. So give me Arkansas Pine Bluff in a game I think could be pretty close. Uh, give me them plus 11 and a half. Uh, and then finally, Alabama A&M is at Prairie View. Prairie View, probably the class of that league. Uh, but at 14 and a half point favorites, I think that's a little high as I have Prairie View minus the 11. So uh, give me Alabama A&M in that one. Uh, that is it for the back cuts. That is it for the board on Monday. We're going to take a quick break. And that's it for plays, but we're going to get into the conference tournament stuff. Um, four previews tomorrow on the podcast. Very excited about that. Special remote guest, first remote guest we've had here uh, on the pod. So we'll see how that goes. 
Um, pumped about breaking down those four conferences, but we're gonna sort of talk about theory after the break and trying to translate um, money lines and sort of and, and futures, conference tournament futures prices uh, using implied odds and it's very nerdy, trust me on this. If you want to skip out, feel free to stop now. But if you want to get into some math stuff, we're going to do that after the break. Uh, it is going to be a wild ride. Grab a pen and pencil or just you know, hang on for dear life. Um, but if you're interested in these conference tournaments and if you're into sort of contest theory and the idea that you know, playing against competition and you know, numerous entries into a contest is different, of course, than just straight odds of betting, you know, putting up your 10, 20, $100 or whatever to win this bet. You know, obviously, we're not putting up any money in making these picks, uh, but we'll get into that uh, after the break. So hang in there. If you're not, we will uh, catch you tomorrow. All right, so super nerdy math time. I got my pocket protector in. I got a bunch of uh, sharpened pencils here. I'm going to erase. I'm going to scratch things out. No, not really. Just got a spreadsheet. But so basically what I'm trying to do here is for this conference tournament contest, uh, I'm trying to take a simple question. And the question is, you know, if a team, according to teamrankings.com, is a 57% uh, probability to win their tournament. How do we translate that into a money line when you're competing against, you know, a hundred other people in this contest? And we're going to use sort of a hundred uh, participants as the, you know, easy round number here. But it's one thing to take, you know, a 57% probability and turn that into a money line. That's minus 135, right? That's a relatively easy equation to make. And, but that's not really what we're working with here because we're not taking dollars here. We're not taking $135 and betting that to win a hundred. It matters who the opponent in these, in this contest is taking, who are all the collective taking and how do we create value uh, beyond those sorts of money lines. And so uh, let's use the horizon league, for example, um, as that gets uh, tipped off on Tuesday night. And let's say, for instance, so according to team ratings, teamrankings.com, uh, Wright State is the favorite. And they are about a 49.5% favorite here, right? So if you really loved Wright State in this circumstance, you know, you'd, you know basically they're an even money, money line to win the tournament. But if everybody is on right state, what happens with the value there? If they're 50, if you're 50% to do anything, but 80% of people think you're going to do it, there's obviously quite a big gap between what the value is there. And on the flip side, if you're a 30% chance to do something and only 15% of people think you can do it, there's some, there's a gap there too. Right. And so how do we create a money line to sort of figure out what needs to happen with regards to our participants in order to make some value there? Now, we don't know what who our participants are going to take here. Right. We can only sort of best guess in the same way that we don't know who's going to make you know a bunch of three pointers on any given night or who's going to have a bad day at the free throw line or who's going to get injured. Right. We can only sort of best guess. 
And so while we're handicapping all the basketball and we're handicapping games and we're trying to figure out who can win and who can't win, and that's all relative to our perception of these of these probabilities, right? For example, do I think personally Wright State is a 50% chance to win this tournament? I don't, right? They play two neutral court games. Um, I think the first one will be relatively easy, but I think they'll be in for a battle in the second one. And if I was betting them to win the tournament, I would probably just wait until that final. And I think I could get a better number live, but that's a completely separate entity, right? So we're trying to figure out if I like right state, which I don't necessarily, not at that number, but there will be a number where I would actually like right state. And that's kind of the point. So let's start with right state and the hypothetical that of the 100 people that are in this contest, 80 of them take right state. Well, we just talked about how there's automatically no value there because if there are only a 50% chance of doing something, 80% of people taking them is killing all the value there. But what does that mean mathematically, right? So the first thing we do is we pretend we are one of those 80 people, and which leaves 79 people who used right state. Now, if right state wins, that creates a pool of 158 points spread throughout the rest of the contest, right? But if there's 99 people in the contest, we, that's the number that we have to divide 158 by because we have to compare ourselves not just to the people who won, but to the average person in this contest because there's 30 plus uh, uh, tournaments. And so, you know, the reason this math is in theory going to work is over the course of a, a larger sample size than just the one tournament. So we divide that by 99, we divide 158 by 99, and we get 1.59595959. And that's the number of the average per competitor should right state win. Now, of course, we will get two points. So we're going to gain uh, 0.41 points on the average competitor, right? Because the average competitor is getting 1.59 and we are getting two because right state won. Now I went through a bunch of different other steps and went around and around and around and it turned out that none of them really mattered. The simple equation here is just taking the average per competitor and the gain on the field, right? In this case, 0 0.4, it's technically 0 0.4040040 <clears throat> and dividing one into the other. In this case, the average competitor score is higher, so our risk, essentially, uh, is higher than our reward. So you divide those two numbers, 1.59 into 0.4, and you get minus 395. Well, that's not even money. That's not a good bet at all, right? And that just goes to show that your bet isn't of good value if even if right state wins, your winning of only 0.4 points against the average competitor wasn't nearly worth, you know, losing out what you would be losing out on. So let's try to make the math work for us when it comes to right state. Uh, I don't have to sort of tell you that right state as you know, if 50% of the people take right state, that's pretty close to where the math should be, and we're probably going to end up with an even money bet there. But how is there value on right state? Well, let's say there's a circumstance where, you know, uh, right state only has 
20% or 30 people in the contest taking them. And Northern Kentucky gets 20, uh, but there's all of a sudden a big you know, rush to take Green Bay. Now, maybe this isn't necessarily all that likely, but just for an example, you know, maybe people think the horizon is more wide open you know, than I do or that teamrankings.com does. And you know, we're one of only 30 people. Well, that means 29 other people have taken them because we're getting two points for the one seed getting the victory. That's 58 points are now out in the pool. So 58 points are out in the pool and 99 people are grabbing onto those points. So that's 0.585 points per competitor. Well, we got two points there. So we are automatically gaining against the average competitor 1.41 points. So if we're gaining 1.41 points, now all of a sudden we're dividing our gains, which are higher, into our competitor's uh, average, and that ends up equaling out to be 2.413 or plus 241. So now we're getting a ton of value on right state all of a sudden because we're getting a plus 241 bet, a plus 241 bet on a thing that's going to happen you know, roughly even money amount of the time. Now, you have to decide as you're handicapping the competition, what's more likely? Will there be a ton of people, you know, close to 80? It doesn't have to be 80, but it can be 70, it can be, you know, 60 and so on, so on and so forth. You know, are more than 50% of people going to be taking right state or are less than 50% of people going to be taking right state in this circumstance? So that's just part of the handicap equation when it comes to do you pick the top seed in, you know, in these pools, in these contests, right? And it's no different from a, than from a bigger macro scale Kansas to win the NCAA tournament. We spoke earlier about how I think Kansas will win the NCAA tournament. That's all relative, right? If I think that, I would probably put that at, say, a 20% chance, which is a very high chance that they, that team only, wins the tournament that's certainly higher than their uh futures number at you know that's at plus 750 right now that being said if i'm in a in a contest i know that even if i think there's a 20 percent chance that kansas wins this tournament i know that there's going to be more than 20 percent of the people entering putting in Kansas as their champion. So now I already know I'm not getting any value because of course to win a bracket pool you have to have the champion. Unless it's some super off the radar champion, but that rarely happens, the exception being Yukon from a few years ago. So I know, okay, I'm doing that. So now I need Kansas to win. And I'm already behind the eight ball because 40% of the people took Kansas. And I and said, even I think it's only a 20% chance that this happens. So I'm already behind the eight ball with value. And on top of that, now I have to go up against 40 people and I have to beat 39 other people with the rest of my bracket, right? I have to get more points out of the rest of my bracket than they do. So it's the same sort of concept. And you can go ahead and you can pick a team like Baylor, Ohio State, Louisville, Duke, something along those lines where, sure, you only have to beat two or three people if they win the championship, but they still have to win the championship. And that's where you have to factor in, okay, what are the odds? Now, if you are only one of two people that takes San Diego State, for instance, and if there's a 5% chance that San Diego State wins the entire tournament, that's a pretty good deal, right? And we'll get to that because that 
is the type of thing that we will have information on before the tournament starts. And that's kind of what's cool about doing an NCAA tournament bracket. But again, a little bit ahead of myself here because that's still two weeks away. What we now need to calculate though, is if we don't have value on right state, who is going to have value in the Horizon tournament? And so if we're gonna grab an underdog, we need them at a better price than the underdog price that they would be getting, right? So while it's easy to calculate a team who's getting who is 50% likely to do something as an even money bet, well, what is a team like, for example, Green Bay, who's a little further down the list in percentage and is, according to teamrankings.com, an 8.1% chance to win, right? So off the top of our head, or I shouldn't say off the top of our head, but we know a relatively easy formula to figure that out. And we put that in, it's 100 divided by X plus 100, right? And so in this case, that will crank out that a team who is an 8% favorite to do something will be plus 1100. It's actually plus 1140 if we're being specific, but plus 1140 in this case with Green Bay is, is what they should be according to teamrankings.com. Now you have to have some implicit faith in teamrankings.com to be accurate. And of course it's basketball and we only play one of these tournaments. So we'll never know whether they were accurate, right? If Wisconsin Green Bay wins the tournament, they were 100% probable to win the tournament according to history, right? There's no alternate universe. I mean, maybe there is, but there isn't, I don't think there's an alternate universe where Wisconsin Green Bay, you know, doesn't win the tournament if they don't, if they win the tournament. So you look at it and you go, okay, if I need to get plus 1140 in value with Green Bay, what has to happen with regards to my competitors? How many people have to take Green Bay for there to be no value and how few people can't take, or how few people do take Green Bay in order for there to create value, right? So we already know because it's 8% and we're working off of 100, that eight is about the number, you know, that is the cutoff, right? If less than 8% of people take it, take them, then we're already getting value, right? And so we have to figure out, okay, well, let's say I like them a little bit more. I do think a couple more people will take them. You know, where does the value lie? Well, you let's hypothetically say 10 people take them and we are one of those 10. So nine other people are taking them, right? You get three points for Green Bay. So you're getting 29 and a half, excuse me, you're getting 30 points, 30 points out in the field. Uh, we are two and a half of those points. So you're getting 27 and a half points out into the field. And that's of course divided by, again, 99 people, all right? So there's 27 points out with the rest of the field. The field includes 99 people. So on average per competitor, each person is getting 0.277777, right? But we're getting three points, right? So right there you have to subtract th uh, two point sorry point two seven 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 you have to subtract that into three right and that gives you the difference on what we're gaining so what we're gaining there is two point seven two 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 points on the field right so we take one number the larger number we take the smaller number take the smaller number and divide it into the larger number and we get ourselves just shy of 10 to 1. 
actually 9.8, right? So we get plus 980 if we are one of 10 people. Now that's not quite 1140, but it's close, right? And if there was five people who are taking Green Bay and we were one of them, right? That means that there's four points, sorry, four people getting three points each. That's 12 points in the rest of the field. So we do a quick exchange of the numbers there. We get 12 points in the field. We're dividing it by 99. <clears throat> and we get 0.12121212 per competitor. Well, we're getting we're still getting our three points. So now we're up to a 2.87 difference in our risk reward sort of profile here. And now we're up to 23.75 as the dividing as dividing the average per competitor into the gain on the field. Well, that's plus 23 75 or over almost 24 to 1. So if we're getting 24 to 1 on a bet that we made that we're only should be paying, you know, 11 to 1 on, you're going to make that bet every single time. Now, of course, it's still an 11 to 1 probability. So you're probably not going to win it all that often, but you're going to win it more often than the amount of points in this case that you get paid. Normally we're dealing with money and in this case we're dealing with points, right? So that's basically what I've got as far as a mathematical equation to kind of figure out just how much value we need to have. Now I could look at Green Bay and go, okay, you know, as much as they're, uh, you know, I like that team and maybe I give them a higher percentage chance to win the game. I also think more people are going to be of my same mind here. And I don't know that I'm going to be getting the value that I want out of Green Bay because all it takes is Green Bay to be quote unquote popular enough that 19 people out of 100 other than me like them, right? And so at that point you go, okay, well, what if, geez, what if that 19, those 19 people, now they're getting you know, three points each, right? That's pumping 57 points into the market, right? Into the competition. And then of course that creates 0.57 points uh, per average competitor. And my gain on the field at that point, right? Is 2.42. And now 2.42 divided by 0.57 is 4.21 which is plus 421. So now I'm getting plus 421 on a bet that's really only gonna happen one out of 11, you know, it's an 11 to one bet that I'm only getting plus 421 money on. Well, that's not any good either. So you have to be really careful about, careful about which underdog you're playing here and whether or not they are truly going to be as much of an underdog or more with regards to what you're going to get out of it than they are, you know, than they are mathematically. And it could be a huge disaster. What if everybody loves Green Bay? What if everybody sees what you're seeing and that Green Bay has a chance to win this? What if maybe not everybody, but maybe 39 other people take Green Bay and everybody thought they were so genius, right? Again, we've had scenarios in the past where we thought we were, you know, 
we had a team, a four seed, a five seed, something along those lines. They knock off the number one. They make the final. And we're like, we're going to get a ton of points here if they win. And then you look at the scoreboard, and you're in the top 20, and you look around to the other top 20, and half the people have the exact same tournament winner that you thought you had. And you're just like, oh, no. Yeah, I may still win this, but I'm not winning it as much for as much as I thought I was. So what if our underdog is getting selected, is popular, and is getting selected by 39 people? Well, if they win, that's 39 people times 3. And now we're up into the 117 points out into the wild, so to speak, out into our competitors. And you go through that and you go, oh, geez, so now our average competitor is getting 1.18 points. Well, we s subtract that, you know, into our three that we got, and now we're at 1.81. Well, so we just risked 1.18 to get 1.81. Well, that's pretty darn close to even money. In fact, that's only plus 153. So now, now we're making a plus 153 bet on something that should be in a plus 1100 bet. Not good. So it's not just finding upsets. It's not just, you know, picking winners. Because all this is under the circumstance that Green Bay goes on and wins. It's not just that. It's figuring out which teams are going to be the popular upset pick. And you can literally go game by game on this. But this is just a tournament-wide concept. And this is the sort of thing that we'll revisit come the NCAA tournament, and that I'm sure will be far more widely uh, appreciated and uh, more popular, et cetera, et cetera. But for this contest, it's worth mentioning a second layer of handicapping beyond just trying to figure out who's going to win because the favorites are the favorites for a reason and we know that right we know why colgate is the favorite in the patriot we know why Wright state is the favorite in the horizon league but is it worth taking those teams to win their tournaments and all of that comes down to whether your opponent is taking those teams as well so just a little math thing that i was i've been working on and to be honest with you i probably should have started it weeks before i did but hopefully that comes in handy for you. Hopefully that comes in handy for us as we compete for the conference tournament uh, contest that I'm in. If you're interested in joining that, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, reach out to me at mrussauthentic, M for Matt, Russ for Russell, and Authentic for being real. mrussauthentic on Twitter. Uh, I retweeted Tom, who runs the, uh, runs the contest. I retweeted his... Um, sort of sign up tweet uh, a couple days ago. I'll retweet that again. It's awesome. You still have some time to do it. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll get started with, uh, with contest and conference tournament talk and previews and everything uh, for tomorrow's episode. And uh, that's it for me. Until then, we'll see you at the window.